Well, this morning, if you got your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 24. We're going to wrap up our series we began on Resurrection Sunday. Easter this year, we began talking about out of the grave, how that Jesus Christ has called us out of the grave of sin, out of the grave of shame. And today we're going to talk about how he calls us out of the grave of sorrow. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, how many of you enjoyed John Wesley uh, preaching last Sunday? Amen. And... uh, he and Samantha, our youth pastors here at our Arab campus, do an awesome job. We've got an amazing youth team. And I know I heard him, I heard him invite all of you to bring your kids every Wednesday night, 6th through 12th grade. Uh, they want to invest in them. They want to love on them. And I, and I like to say this as often as I can. There is no other activity. There's not a school. There's not a club. There's not a sporting event. There's not an extra, extracurricular activity that is a substitute for a youth group. The local church and youth ministry in the local church is essential. Your kids are not going to get anywhere else what they're going to get at youth group. Nothing. I mean, there, there's nothing. We got a great school system. We got great clubs. We got great coaches and great teachers in our community. But I want you to understand, your children are going to receive something in youth group that they're not going to get anywhere else. And I want to encourage you, as we just had an opportunity to go to two villages that don't have a church and don't have a pastor and don't have a worship team and don't have a youth group and don't have any of those things that we consider normal Christianity, how, how tragic it would be for us to have the opportunities that are available to us and neglect to take advantage of them. So let me encourage you, if you have a young person, 6th through 12th grade, get them here on Wednesday night, 530. They're going to have fun. They're going to have a blast. They're going to learn a lot. But most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be shared in a way that will impact their life. And they'll be equipped to live the life God's called them to live. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24. It's the resurrection story. The Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Can I get an amen from somebody? Man, that was a weak amen. He is not here, but is risen. Amen. He's alive. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest of the disciples. We, we established a couple thoughts through this series. We said, number one, that Jesus' empty tomb is an open door. His empty tomb is an open door. It's an open door of invitation for me and you to enter into the kingdom of God. It's an open door of invitation for us to come out of sin and come out of shame and come out of sorrow and enter in to the very things that God has for us. There is an empty tomb, which is your open door. God is inviting you in to come into the kingdom, to come into his grace, to come into his mercy, to come into his forgiveness, to come into his life. And then we said that not only is the empty tomb an open door, but we said the empty tomb literally becomes a womb that births new life. The tomb becomes a womb that begins to birth brand new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And we talked about the idea that coming to Christ means that I become a new creation. And it doesn't mean that my past no longer exists. It just means that my past no longer has the authority to control my present. And it no longer has authority to control my future. 
And as I was praying this morning, the Lord said to me, he said, Keith, your past is the testimony of what God has done. But not only is it a testimony of what God has done, it is a prophecy of what God will do. How many know that he doesn't change? Come on, somebody. The same God of yesterday is the same God of today and the same God of tomorrow. What he did yesterday, if he healed you yesterday, he can heal you today. If he delivered you yesterday, he can deliver you today. If he redeemed you yesterday, he can redeem you today. What God has done is a declaration of what God can and will do to those who believe in him. That's why you should take every opportunity you have to share your testimony. You ought to testify to the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the power of God. I heard a testimony this morning. Mike shared with me coming in this morning just a couple weeks ago. We had a healing service. He said, Pastor Keith, I just want you to know when you and Pastor Kelly prayed over me, he said, the Lord touched me. He said, I felt something change in my body. And he had been battling with sickness, not knowing what was going on. Went this past week. He said, I know the Lord healed me. Went this past week to have a test done and everything come back clean. No cancer in his body. Come on, somebody. He said, I'm healed. I'm delivered. Let me tell you why your testimony matters. What God's done in your past is a prophecy of what he'll do in somebody else's future. And we've all been stirred up and we've all been encouraged and we've all received faith by hearing what God has done. That God delivers us and God redeems us. And so we become new creations. Our past no longer has the authority to dictate our present and it no longer has dominion to control our future. We are new creations in Christ, a brand new beginning in Jesus. So look at that first point this morning. So not only does Jesus call us out of the grave of sin and, sh and uh, sin and shame, but Jesus calls us out of the grave of sorrow. Sin and shame bring sorrow because the wages of sin is always death. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings shame, and shame brings sorrow, and sin and death always create loss and tragedy in our lives. Now remember two elements of sin I want you to think about. Sin always brings death. And there's two elements of sin. There's the sin that we commit, the choices and decisions that we make. And then there's the sin that is committed against us. Many of you know Kelly's testimony. She grew up in a very abusive home being sexually molested as a child. And how many of you understand that the sin that was committed against her affected her? The sin that was committed against her brought death. It tried to bring shame. It created sorrow in her heart. It led into what would be a 10-year battle, as many of you know, of severe suicidal depression. Why? Because sin always brings death. When we sin, our sin brings death. But guess what? My sin doesn't just bring death to me. My sin brings death to other people. And the sin of other people not only brings death to them, it brings death to my life. If you don't believe me, ask the family members of a drug addict. That mom, that dad, that brother, that sister, that husband, that wife, the sting of death torments them every day that their child is in addiction. The shame, the sorrow, the pain, the loss, it's real. It's real. And not only is the person committing the sin being affected by it, but we're also affecting the people that love us and care for us. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is that what I do doesn't affect anybody but me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. What you do affects everybody that cares about you. But there's good news. Come on, somebody. We no longer have to be bound by the sin, the shame, or the sorrow 
that comes with our bondage and our brokenness. Look at that next point. Sin and death create loss. Spiritual, physical, relational, and financial loss. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Satan uses sorrow. He uses shame and sorrow to trap us in a cycle of sowing and reaping that brings continual corruption. Sin and death creates loss. And out of loss comes a spirit of sorrow. There is sorrow that comes when we lose things. Think about spiritually what happens through sin. In the heart and life of a believer, what happens when a Christian sins? The Bible says that when a Christian sins, we grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a loss. There's there's an opportunity. You you grieve the Holy Spirit. The Lord just spoke to me just this morning as I was praying and preparing for today. He said, Keith, he said, think about it. The word grieve means to bring sorrow to. He says, when you sin, your sin brings sorrow to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows your sin is going to bring sorrow to you. How many parents in the house today? How many know that when your children make bad decisions... It hurts you. When you see your kids making decisions they shouldn't make, and you see your children making choices they shouldn't make, it grieves your heart. You know why it grieves your heart? Because you know it's not going to end well. You know that the choices and decisions they're making are not going to lead them down a path of life. It's going to probably lead them down a path of chaos and destruction. And Satan's going to steal and he's going to kill and he's going to destroy. And when you see your children, especially as we grow up and we've got adult children, and they're making all these choices independent of their parents, and our hearts grieve. And the Lord said to me this morning, he said, Keith, the way the heart of a parent grieves over sinful decisions is the way the heart of God grieves when his children rebel against him and not only do we grieve the Holy Spirit and there's a spiritual loss there but there's also we can quench the Holy Spirit the Bible says do not quench the Spirit the word quench means to extinguish the fire of God and I was thinking about how we lose opportunities we lose moments we lose we lose these chances to see God do amazing things because the Holy Spirit prompts us to pray for somebody to minister to somebody to witness to somebody to bless somebody to help somebody and we say no and every time I say no to the prompting and leading the leadership of the Holy Spirit I quench the spirit I pour a little water on the fire and not only do I lose the opportunity of what God wanted to do through me but I actually robbed that other person of the very thing God wanted to do in their life through my obedience to the Lord. I don't know if you guys have figured this out yet, but we're connected. Whether you like it or not, welcome to the family. We are connected. And my obedience can bless you, and my disobedience can hurt you. Not only do I lose the opportunity to be used by God and be the hands and feet of Jesus, but I rob somebody else of the opportunity to receive what the Lord wanted to do through my obedience to follow Him. Satan wants to use the sorrow of loss. What happens many times, I see Christians get stuck sometimes. They miss an opportunity. They, they miss an opportunity to be used by God or maybe they rebel against the Lord and they go through a season of rebellion where they're just kind of doing their thing instead of God's thing. And then the devil wants to condemn them. And the devil wants to judge you and he wants to condemn you and use shame and sorrow and remorse. And I've seen Christians get stuck 
Well, I've done messed up too bad. I've done missed too many opportunities. God can never use me again. I want to tell you something. The devil's a liar. The Bible is filled with people who messed up and screwed up. And God kept using them. <laughs> but Satan wants to use sorrow. He wants you to disqualify yourself. He wants you to believe that you've done missed it too much. You've done rebelled too far. You've done quenched the Holy Spirit too deep that God could never use you again. I want you to understand if you'll confess your sin, repent of your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Hey, there's new life in Christ. You can begin again. Right? You can get back up. And God's not holding your past against you. God wants to work through you. There's spiritual loss. There's physical loss. Literally, there's physical loss. Everybody in this room has experienced the sting of death. And every time a drunk driver gets behind the wheel and somebody dies in an accident because somebody was driving drunk, there's loss. Every time somebody dies prematurely, there's loss. And we've all experienced the sting of that loss. The Bible says that death is not the will of God, not the plan of God, not the purpose of God. The Bible says death is the enemy of God. It is the last enemy to be destroyed, and one day it will be destroyed. And this corruptible body, the Bible says, will put on incorruption. This mortal body will put on immortality, and we're going to step into the presence of God brand new. Come on, somebody. But the sorrow of loss through death is one of the greatest sorrow that grieves the heart. If you've ever tragically, some of the heroes of my faith are those who have navigated through the loss of a child. My mind can't even imagine. I don't even like to let myself go there to think what that must feel like. But I've walked through Kelly and I with many families, unfortunately, over the years who have had to bury their children. And in those moments of sorrow and those moments of loss and those moments of death and those moments of grief, there, there's, there's a pivotal opportunity there where Satan wants to ensnare that soul under a spirit of grief. The Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness that just settles over the hearts of people, keeping them from ever knowing joy, keeping them from ever knowing peace, keeping them from ever being able to live again. And some of my greatest heroes of the faith are the people that I've seen walk through that and maintain their courage and maintain their joy. And yes, they're broken. And yes, they were wounded. And yes, they were hurting. And there'll never be anybody to ever replace that child. But there's healing and there's redemption and there's grace and there's future and there's hope because of Jesus. There's not only physical loss, there's relational loss. You think about how many marriages have been destroyed through unfaithfulness and infidelity and affairs. You think about how many friendships have been destroyed because of sin, just through gossip and backbiting and slander and words being spoken in private. And we recognize every time there is sin, there is death. Every time there is sin, there is death. And where there is sin and death, there is loss. People get stuck, right? People, people get stuck. They, they go through a divorce, and maybe, maybe it wasn't, quote, their fault. Maybe there was infidelity on the other side, and, and, and they walk away sometimes stuck in that sorrow of grief, thinking that I can never love again, and I can never be loved again, and I can never begin again, and I can never open my heart again. But our church and our world is filled with people who have found hope again and restoration again and, and healing again and new relationships again. God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. Come on, somebody. 
He loves divorced people, and God wants you to begin again. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to redeem your life. He wants to do a second time what the devil destroyed the first time. Isn't that what God always does? He redeems the brokenness of our past to set us up for the healing of a new future in Christ. You're not disqualified. You're not abandoned. You're not rejected. You are loved by God. And He is with you and He is for you. Amen? Financial loss. You think of the financial loss that happens. The Lord just reminded me of this. He said, Keith, He said, there's so much, so much financial death and stress and anxiety in our world because we swipe and don't save. We swipe and don't save. We swipe and don't save. Instead of saving for those things, we just swipe it and buy it and we keep swiping and we keep swiping and we keep swiping. And America is drowning in debt. People making hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a million dollars, are struggling living paycheck to paycheck because they've swapped and swapped and swapped and swapped and swapped. And every time there's sin, how many of you know that when your life is out of order, it brings death? When you pull up to the gas pump and they have the sign on there that says out of order, you know what that means? It don't work. And when your finances are out of order, guess what? It won't work. When your marriage is out of order, it won't work. When your relationships are out of order, it won't work. And you can take the pump off and stick it in your car and stand there all day long, but you're not getting any gas and you're not going anywhere. We're trying to let dead things give us life where Jesus is the only one that can give us life. So we understand, we recognize the scheme of the enemy. We recognize that Satan wants to use that sorrow to trap us. Galatians 6 verse 8 says, He who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. The cycle of sorrow, think about this, creates a stronghold of the enemy in our lives that allows Satan to begin to manipulate and control us. When you sow into your sorrow, think about that for just a second. When you sow into your sorrow, how do we sow into our sorrow? We sow into our sorrow with the thoughts that we think and the words that we speak and the deeds that we do. How many know your thoughts are seeds that produce fruit? How many know your words are seeds that produce fruit? How many know your actions are seeds that produce fruit? Your decisions are seeds that produce fruit. And when you sow into your sorrow, I'll never get over this. I'll never be the same. I'll never be healed. I'll never be loved. I'll never be blessed. I'll never be happy. I'll never know joy again. I'll never find love again. I'll never find that perfect person. I'll never experience what God has for me. I'll never be used by the Lord again. Every time you sow into your sorrow, you sow corruption into your flesh. It creates a cycle of death that creates a stronghold that takes you deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage. One of the grievous, most, one of the, one of the, the, the things that has grieved me the most is seeing people stuck in grief that refuse to be comforted, that refuse to be healed. And they sow into their sorrow, and they sow into their sorrow, and they sow into their sorrow, and the stronghold gets deeper and deeper and deeper. 
But Jesus died and rose again to call us out of the grave of our sorrow and our pain. Amen? Look at that next point. The sorrow of the world brings death. But godly sorrow, there's a right kind of sorrow. Godly sorrow brings life because it produces repentance. Grieving loss is a part of the healing process, but it's not intended to be a way of life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces The sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance, which brings salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Look back at that point. Let's talk about that for just a second. So the sorrow of the world brings death, but godly sorrow brings repentance. We're going to talk about what that really means as we begin to change our minds, as we begin to get into agreement with God, as we begin to shake, shake off the shackles of our sorrow and our shame and our regret and our pain, and we begin to come into agreement and come into alignment with God. If you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap ever perpetual, continual life. And God is calling us into that life. He's calling us into that place of liberty and that place of freedom. As we embrace godly sorrow that brings repentance and salvation. So grieving loss, let's talk about this for a minute, is is a part of the healing process. I I remember Brother Rod and Mary, whenever their oldest daughter committed suicide, they literally found her body in their room as they came home from a ministry trip where they had been preaching the gospel. They walked in their house and walked in their bedroom to find their daughter dead in their room, having taken her life. Three months later, Brother Rod and Mary were here at Liberty Church in Arab. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, we're hurting, but we're healing. He said, we're grieving, but we're walking. And we're not going to stop. I can't imagine what that would feel like. But I know that grieving is a part of loss. And God wants us to grieve. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually encourages us to grieve with one another. It says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, right? There's a time to grieve, but there's a time to rejoice. And we recognize that grieving is supposed to be a part of the healing process. I'm grieving, but I'm walking. I'm hurting, but I'm healing. Why? Because God has not called me to stay in my sorrow, but to come out of my sorrow. There is victory on the other side of the grave. There is resurrection on the other side of the cross. There is joy on the other side of your pain. There is a spirit of joy, the Bible says, for a spirit of heaviness. And we recognize that God is calling us out of the sorrow of loss. And yes, we grieve and we work through that grief. And and that looks a little bit different for everybody. But we just have to make sure we don't get stuck in our sorrow. 
that we don't start sowing into the sorrow, that we don't start feeding the sorrow and giving it authority and power and dominion over our lives, but that we recognize that the pain of our sin and others' sin against us, yes, it creates loss, and yes, it creates pain, and yes, there is sorrow, but there's also healing. There's also life. There's also redemption. There's also a God that can make all things new. Amen? Look at that last point. Jesus calls us out of the grave of sorrow. And godly sorrow, think about this, grieves loss. Godly sorrow grieves loss. Again, we don't ignore the pain of our loss. We don't step around grief. Many people get stuck in grief because they don't grieve. Kelly and I have seen people walk through tragic loss and they refuse to allow themselves to grieve. And three years or five years later, they finally crumble. They literally fall apart. Because they never allowed themselves to grieve the loss. So grieving is a God thing and a good thing. But it's a part of a process of healing. It's not a lifestyle. And so we understand that that godly sorrow grieves the loss that has happened. It grieves the marriage. It grieves the financial loss. It grieves the loss of 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 the business. It grieves the loss of the loved one. It grieves the loss of opportunities and moments that we may have missed that we could have had in Christ. It grieves those losses, but it doesn't stay stuck in them. Godly sorrow not only grieves the loss, but it acknowledges sin and refuses, hear me, refuses to justify or blame. Godly sorrow acknowledges sin. The two elements of sin, let's talk about the first one. I've got to acknowledge my sin. I've got to own it. I've got to recognize that the choices and decisions I made were the choices and decisions I made. And there are consequences and there are repercussions to the choices and decisions I made. And until I own my sin, I'll never get free from it. As long as I justify my sin or as long as I blame others for my sin, I will stay bound in my sin. Kelly realized after a 10-year battle, one of the greatest breakthroughs in her life When God delivered her from 10-year battle of depression, what she realized something, this is what she realized. She realized that she wasn't bound by a spirit of depression because she had been abused as a child. She realized she was bound by a spirit of depression because she refused to forgive the one who had abused her. It wasn't his sin holding her in bondage. It was her sin holding her in bondage. His sin impacted her life. His his sin created sorrow and shame in her life. His sin created consequences and repercussions in her life. But his sin did not have the authority and power to control her life. And when she come to that place where she acknowledged his sin, But then she acknowledged her sin. 
she acknowledged his sin and was willing to forgive him of what he had done to her because forgiveness doesn't free them. Forgiveness frees you. They're still accountable to God for what they did. Unforgiveness imprisons you. And she had to acknowledge his sin and forgive him. And she had to acknowledge her sin and stop justifying her bitterness and resentment because of what was done to me. She had to stop blaming her choices today for the sin that he committed yesterday. Let me tell you what justifying and blaming sin does. As long as you justify or blame others for your sin and your choices, you stay in bondage and you stay bound. Because when you blame other people, when you say, I am who I am because of what they did to me. I am who I am because of what happened to me. I am who I am because this was done to me. When you blame someone else for the choices and decisions you're making today, you declare that you are powerless to change. Think about it. I am who I am because of what they did. So if I am who I am because of what they did, then I can't change me. I'm powerless. I'm a victim. But when I stop blaming and start owning my choices and my decisions, there is liberty and there is freedom. There is breakthrough and there is healing. There is, there is overwhelming glory and joy that comes into your heart. And godly sorrow, godly sorrow acknowledges sin. It acknowledges the sin of those that have sinned against us. It acknowledges our own sin. And then godly sorrow, think about this. So godly sorrow, the Bible says, produces repentance. It's a change of mind that brings the salvation, the healing, the deliverance, the forgiveness, the grace of God that you need in your life. The word repent literally means to change your mind. In the, in, in, the, in the English, it means repent. It means to return to the high place. That's why the penthouse is always on the top floor. The word pent means high place. The word re means return. So what do we do when we repent? We return to the high place. We stop thinking like the world thinks. We stop justifying and blaming, and we start agreeing with God. That his blood is sufficient, that his grace is sufficient, that his power is sufficient. And the same God that conquered death, hell, and the grave is the same God that can heal my heart, restore my soul, deliver me, and set me free from the sorrow of my past so I can live in the joy of his presence. Amen? I want to close with these last scriptures. I want our prayer teams to come up front. Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. When we come before God with our brokenness, our sorrow, our pain, our shame, God doesn't turn you away. God doesn't mock you. God doesn't belittle you. God never looks at your sorrow and your pain and your brokenness and says, well, it doesn't matter. That really not that important. No, God looks at you with a, with a tender and a gracious heart. And God, out of compassion, receives our brokenness and he receives our repentance. When we come to God and say, Lord, I, I want to return to that high place. There are some broken places. And maybe you've realized today, maybe you've realized, maybe you've been sowing into your sorrow. Maybe you've been sowing into that thing. And you've been feeding that, that worldly sorrow that brings death. And you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And you're not, you're not perking up, you're being pulled down. 
You've lost your joy. You've lost, you've lost your appetite for life. You've lost your passion and you've lost your zeal because you've allowed the sorrow of the world to bring death. God says, the broken and repentant, I gladly receive. Those are the sacrifices that I welcome in. And in Psalms 34, verse 17 through 19, listen to this. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. And he rescues them from all their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those, listen to what it says, whose spirits are crushed. Man, maybe you feel like you've been crushed beyond repair. I want you to understand God is a healer. God is an healer. He, he is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You can come to God with your sorrow. You can come to God with your pain. You can come to God with your setbacks and your struggles. And he'll meet you there. And verse 19 says this, And the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. This morning, just this morning, the Lord gave me a revelation on this verse I'd never seen before. The righteous person faces many trouble. Number one, that's exactly the opposite of how we think life ought to work, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the opposite of how we think it ought to work? We think the righteous person should not face trouble. The righteous person should have good things happen because they're righteous. But the Bible says the righteous person faces much trouble. And Jesus actually affirms what the Psalms has said. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Come on, somebody. So I want you to listen to this. He said, the righteous person faces many trouble, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. My understanding of that verse has always kind of meant this. God comes to the rescue that God would deliver us from trouble and take the trouble away. But the Holy Spirit said, Keith, I want you just to think for a minute. He said, sometimes I take the trouble away. But most of the time, I give you grace and strength to overcome the trouble. Sometimes I take it away, and I'm glad when he takes it away. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm glad, I'm glad when the problem just disappears. I'm glad when the issue just goes away. I'm glad when that thing that was troubling me and afflicting me has automatically just gone out of my life. But I look back over my life, and I bet most of you can look back over your life, and you can recognize that God was faithful to rescue you in every trouble. But most of the time, he didn't pull you out of the trouble. He gave you grace and strength to overcome the trouble. So that your testimony of his greatness and faithfulness can bring hope and healing to those who are in trouble themselves. That God is able to sustain you and God is able to heal you and God is able to keep you and God is able to carry you and God is able to lift you and God is able to empower you to overcome every challenge, every trouble, every problem in your life. So this is what I want us to do this morning. If you're here today, and maybe you need to be delivered from trouble. You're here today and maybe you realize, man, you've been carrying some sorrow. And today you want to trade your sorrow in for his joy. Maybe you've recognized you've been stuck. And you want to come out of that pattern. You want to stop circling the mountain and you want to start moving towards your promised land. This is what I want you to do. If you need prayer and you want God to deliver you from any sorrow or any pain or any trouble in your heart right now, I want you to come just line up across the front right now. 
just come and line up. If you want prayer this morning, just come and line up right here across the front. Don't go to our prayer team yet. Just come line up across the front. We're just going to make a line all the way across the front. If there's sorrow in your heart, if there's trouble and there's pain that you need to be delivered from, I want you just to come line up right now. I want you just to come line up across the front. This is your moment right now. Don't, don't allow the sorrow of the world to bring death. Because there's a, there's a Redeemer that lives. Amen? There's a God that loves you and cares about you. And you're welcome to continue to come. And what we're going to get ready to do is I'm going to just turn our prayer teams loose. And I'm just going to let you begin to go individually to each person. I want you to begin to pray over them. I want you to minister to them and let the Lord bring healing. Today, God is going to lift the sorrow off your heart. He's going to remove that garment of heaviness. He's going to give you a spirit of joy today. And he's going to rescue you from trouble because he's a God that calls us out of the sorrow of the world. And today we're just going to come before the Lord and God's just going to minister to you. So right now, prayer team, you go ahead and pray and just begin to minister over people. Pastor Kelly, you just wait on me for just a moment, okay? I want to do this. As these begin to pray, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you realize, maybe you realize today that You've never even known the joy of the Lord. You've never known what it means to have Jesus be Lord of your life. And today God wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. The greatest gift a person can receive is the gift of salvation. And the greatest deliverance any person can have is the deliverance that comes from knowing Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And you don't have to live in sin, and you don't have to live in shame, and you don't have to live in sorrow. Your past can be forgiven, and you can have a brand new life today in Christ. You can be free, and you can begin again today. So if that's you right now, and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ this morning. I want to pray, and I want to be born again. That's what the Bible calls it, being born again. I want to begin again in Jesus. I want you just to raise your hand all over this building. Just a simple act of faith that says today, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ. I want to pray with you. This is your moment just to step out in faith. Just a simple act of lifting your hand and saying, I want to accept Christ today. If you're watching online and that's you this morning, God loves you. He cares about you. He sent his son to die for you. You can be forgiven and you can be free. You can be delivered from a devil's hell, the Bible says, and you can be granted access into a place called heaven where you can live forever in the beauty of the Lord. And if you're here today and you've never accepted him or you're watching online, we want to pray with you. So I just want to pray right now. Everybody in the congregation, I'm just going to let you pray this prayer with me. As he's ministering the altar, we're about to go into our last song of worship. But I want to pray this prayer together. Let's say it out loud, everybody here in the room. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you, Lord Jesus, and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord.